Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Straight ahead this week on The Insiders, the Cyclones get much of the attention in Ames, but we're going to talk to a new leader of another part of Ames, hoping for attention beyond our borders. See where the ISU Research Park will go from here as Iowa tries to develop and attract high-tech jobs and Plus, healthier food options, cleaner energy options, better health care and more jobs. Presidential candidate Steve Bullock is here to share his plan to bring all of those things to rural America. And in the Insider's Quick Six, there's development happening, really low unemployment, and a quality of life that seems to always rank high. So what is still missing in this Iowa? Welcome to the Insiders. It is 400 plus acres. The Ames City Council's approved an expansion there. It holds about 90 companies and the salaries of the people working there are about $20,000 higher than the $47,000 national median salary. The ISU Research Center also has a new leader. He's Rick Sanders. He's been on the job as president for about three months now. Has it all figured out? Thanks for being with us. Yeah, 95 <laughs> days, and uh, you can ask me anything. I'm glad to be here. All right, let's talk about this. This has been around for about three decades or so, right? Yep. And you've seen some of these. There, There's this special interest to go get these different kinds of companies, right? You have startups. You have these high-tech companies. What's worked there? What has not worked? Yeah, so it, it seems to really, really work for any company that needs to access the resources of Iowa State University. And so think about those resources as clearly research, world-class research institution, land-grant institution, uh, but also specialized equipment that's available with ISU and with the Ames Lab, uh, and then access to talent. In our unemployment environment right now, the access to talent seems to be the first thing uh, that perks the ears of some of the existing companies coming to the park, uh, and then we try to show them everything else we have to offer. Uh, throughout your career, you've worked in the private sector. Uh, you were on the Story County Board of Supervisors, so you know the government side of things. Where does government investment fit into this park? Yeah, it's a piece of it. I mean, it, we're, we're all on the same team of trying to do what's best for Iowa and the Midwest. And you can look at that as Iowa State University, City of Ames, and beyond to the state of Iowa government. Um, and then those of us that, that are in the private sector or pseudo in the private sector, we want what's best for our area, but none of us can do it on our own. So we all have to find a way to take a piece of that puzzle and figure out what our part is in it. If we try to go separate directions, we're not going to get as much done as we'll get done if we all move together. I suspect those who are listening to you for the first time can probably hear this little Birmingham coming out in you a little bit. But you've, you've lived around different parts of this country. Sure. Can you compare, based on your previous experiences otherwise, other places, What is how does Ames compared to that and what do you see as a challenge here? This is a very slow growing state as you all know. Now Ames is doing pretty well, but when you look big picture, we've grown as a state so slowly here. So what, what challenge does that bring that area for you to grow that park? 
Yeah, so, so first of all, I think, Dave, I'm going to push back a little on the idea that this is kind of AIM-centric. This is, this is Iowa and Midwest, right? And the reason that the research park is located where it is in Ames has everything to do with proximity to Iowa State University, but Iowa State University's mission to create, apply, and share knowledge to improve Iowa and the whole world directly applies to the research park. And that's what we're going to focus in on. How do we make sure that we're taking advantage of this unbelievable opportunity that I think sits right in front of us to be the epicenter for all things ag tech worldwide, to be the epicenter of all things biorenewable worldwide? There's nowhere else in the world that has the kind of resources that we have, the kind of available ground that we have to really make an impact on what the future of production looks like, how we're going to address some of the need for renewable and not using finite resources uh, in all areas. There's multiple places that would like to be that epicenter. I just think we have a unique opportunity to, to get it done. What is more difficult, attracting companies to the park or attracting workers? Today, it's attracting workers. Today, our unemployment rate is a, is a huge detriment to trying to draw companies, but it's also a great opportunity. It's great if, we if you're can a worker. Get, it's great if you're a worker. Uh, but we need to make sure that we're prepared for the next time that we don't have this super low unemployment because we know that all things cycle, right? And we've got to be creative about how we train a workforce that's ready to take those jobs of tomorrow. And if you believe it flows through ag tech and precision ag and biorenewables and things like that, we've got to be thinking what it looks like 12 years from now, not two years from now. Can you take us into the park a little bit? Are there certain professions in particular that are different to attract right now? Yeah, I mean, we difficult seem to, to attract. yeah, so difficult to attract. Um, uh, I would say our focus areas where we really seem to focus in on all things related to ag. First of all, you've got you've to have a natural tie to a resource that Iowa State University offers. But outside of that, you think about all things related to ag and biorenewables, the unbelievable vet college and USDA laboratories that we have, and then specialized things that are going through the Ames Lab, which is a Department of Energy facility that very few people seem to know what's going on with that facility. And there's some unbelievable technology that it's at the very early stages. So I think once we have an opportunity to get in front of companies and talk to them about the success rate with converting interns to full-time employees, and we can talk about that some if you want, how easy it is, how easy Iowa State University is to work with. And that starts at the top with President Winterstein. She's committed to Iowa State University benefiting all of Iowa and the Midwest and how we figure out how to play in that space with entrepreneurs and startups and existing companies. Uh, once we get in front of them and they hear a little about us, it's not a hard sell at all. Uh, I think our issue has been we're pretty Iowa nice. We don't tend to talk a whole lot about this jewel that is the Iowa State University Research Park and how it attaches to a world-class institution. Um, we tend to, you know, kick the dirt and say all shucks a lot. Uh, about a minute left here to, to get into this last point, but I've read elsewhere that some of the challenges right now that we have as we're in the middle of this immigration debate nationally is that there are immigrants perhaps who are a little hesitant to even look at coming to college here or coming to work here. Uh, are you experiencing that? Absolutely. It, it is. Um, so we had Senator Ernst uh, on the ISU Research Park campus a week or so ago and uh, brought in eight or ten business leaders from the community to visit with her. 
and the primary focus, not the only topic we talked about, but the primary focus was how we deal with some of the immigration issues that we have right now. If you look at Iowa State University's uh, uh, student populations, you can see that while we're slightly declining and maybe right-sizing, we're taking a huge hit uh, on the international side, and we've got to work to address that. We want the best and brightest, no matter where you're from, no matter what your background is, and then we want to hang on to the best and brightest as long as we can right here in Central Iowa. So is that where the business and business side and political side are kind of clashing here in certain ways? Oh, and there's there's always going to be a healthy clash between the business side and and the governmental side, and even add in a triangle the university side. I mean, all three entities kind of speak different languages, kind of move at a different pace, and the research parks should fit squarely in the center of all that, trying to pull those three entities together, trying to translate uh, the, the processes, the language, the uh, how things move. And if we're going to be successful, we're going to sit out there squarely in the, in the middle of that and pull the best from all three entities in order to get a great result. All right, if you'll hang on here, we'll have you back for the quick six at the end of the show. Uh, next, though, by Iowa standards, Ames is a bigger city in our state, right? I think it's eighth largest in Iowa. When we come back, a Democratic presidential candidate will join us on his plan for smaller communities. Steve Bullock explains what he would do about food, energy, school, jobs, and more next. Montana and Iowa are similar in that they have a lot of rural areas. So that's what Montana's governor and presidential candidate Steve Bullock is talking about. He's also talking about the food business. Just a few companies control most of the beef market, the hog market, and the poultry market. He wants to pause all proposed mega ag mergers to first determine their impact. He has a plan. It's called the Rural America Plan, and I talked to him about it from his office in Helena, Montana. Here you're talking about keeping rural hospitals open, expanding high-speed broadband, reforming the post office, incentives for nurses, doctors, psychologists, telehealth, telemental health, more money for transportation. That's a lot of stuff, right? It is, Dave, but uh, the rural plan is built on both being a governor of a rural state, recognizing that, look, if you lose your rural hospital, that town's gone as well. So we have to do everything we can to keep those alive, but also figuring out ways that we can invest that actually has plans that won't take 10 years down the line, but address some of those challenges of the here and now. I mean, it's I've not only learned that by uh, serving as governor of Montana, but also as I've traveled around your state in Iowa. So, Governor, you're talking about forming this Office of Rural Affairs. One thing our former governor, Tom Vilsack, had said is that one of the challenge for Democrats is convincing people that government does have a place in your life and how it works. And he thinks that essentially Democrats have kind of gotten away from that or at least lost the ability in some ways to make that connection. So how do you sell this idea to people? Yeah, Dave, and I think that we have lost the ability to make connections in a lot of rural America and indeed rural Iowa. And that's one of the reasons why I'm running. But when you really look at just about every single federal agency, and that can be from a Department of Transportation, Department of Commerce, to certainly Department of Ag, and Health and Human Services. They all have some connection to rural America, but far too often, really, it's just so siloed. So by having someone in an Office of Rural Affairs, it actually reports to me through the White House Council on Policy that at the end of the day, 
It's going to take all of those different areas throughout the federal government and have a laser-like focus because nobody should have to be leaving their community you know, or their school just to make a decent living. So I think that it's more than just how does it sell? It's what it can do is really have that sort of pinpoint focus on trying to address some of the challenges in rural America, because you see them in Iowa and I see them in Montana. You've talked about health care as part of this overall plan here. You are not one of the Democrats who have been campaigning in our state pushing for this Medicare for all idea. You've talked about improvements in other ways here. Would Medicare for all, that concept, does that help or hurt rural hospitals in your mind? Well, it's really hard to say, right, because we've never had a Medicare for all system. And just the disruption of 70 percent of people that have employer-sponsored health care um, and the overall cost to everyone, throwing out uh, Obamacare and starting all over, it's sort of a theoretical of what that would do to rural America. Now, I know what happened, and we have a robust Medicaid expansion program, as an example, that just, just even that, if you have decent reimbursement rates, and we should actually increase the indexes for the rural areas, that alone could keep a rural hospital sustainable and viable. So I think that building off of the Affordable Care Act, building off of what we have in Medicaid, looking at reimbursement rates for our rural areas that at times should be higher than our urban areas to keep these hospitals open um, is the best way to make sure that we have health care, not just in our big cities, but all across our states. Because if you lose a rural hospital, that community's often shortly thereafter, you're going to lose that community as well. Montana is similar to Iowa in the sense that we have some communities that are just really, really small. We have some counties that may have three, four, five thousand people, and uh, you have some of the similarities in your state. What is realistic to promise these folks, especially in the area of mental health? Is the primary driver on this most likely that it has to be tele, some kind of telecare in some sense? Sure. Parts of it always will be, Dave. I mean, the, you know, you can't necessarily have practitioners or providers in every single community, big or small. And I know that Iowa struggled with that just as we have. I mean, we did things in Montana, like started a, a psychiatry residency right here, because we know if someone gets trained in this state, they're much more apt to actually stay in the state. But there's also things that you can do, everything from the telehealth to taking some efforts and doing debt forgiveness in our rural areas for our doctors which is and other practitioners to try to incentivize people to be in those communities. And I think that those are good steps that we can take to make sure that everybody has coverage. Up next, how the governor points to Congressman Steve King's district to make his case that we need more healthier food options. The wind industry has faced a little more criticism lately. The Madison County Board of Health wants turbines built about a mile and a half from home so people don't have to deal with the light flickers from the blades or potential headaches from the sound, although neither allegation is accepted as problematic in the bigger health community. I asked Democratic presidential candidate Steve Bullock if he shares any concerns about wind. Even in Montana, we had to watch out where, and we've doubled our wind capacity, but we did have to watch 
where some of the windmills were, because especially in sage grouse, which was a listed species, that it could really impact their breeding habitat. So there's always going to be a little bit of sort of the NIMBY or not in my backyard or not wanting things too close. But as we're doing more and more transitions to a clean energy economy, you know, Iowa's been one that's really demonstrated what wind can do. And the same is the case with solar. So while there'll always be local siting issues, where to put these things, I mean, I think it creates incredible, incredible potential, not just for Iowa, but indeed our entire nation. Let's talk about food. One of the parts of your plan here, you're talking about these regional food systems. That's what local communities complain about, frankly, sometimes that there's that you can almost be in a food desert here where you don't really have enough access to affordable and healthy food. How do you do both of those things to make it affordable for people, but also make sure they can get healthy? Well, well, I think both the affordability and the healthiness goes as you build out this overall infrastructure. I mean, from the perspective of that, the more dollars that you can keep in the state of Iowa for your farmers and ranchers, the better off they are. The more of the local food efforts that we can actually incentivized, and we can through both the U.S. Department of Agriculture and at times through commerce, it also creates that much of a healthier area as well. You know, somebody has said that uh, Steve King's district is the second most productive ag district in the nation. But in that whole district, there's only two farm-to-table re restaurants. Now, you're not going to solve everything by farm-to-table, but by everything from incentivizing your local schools to your communities to buy more local. It helps your farmer and it helps your rancher because that money stays here. And it also helps having healthier foods. Up next on The Insiders, when the politicians are away, their supporters will parade. A parade is an easy way for visibility for political campaigns. And if you were sitting along Grand Avenue in Des Moines on Labor Day, you found plenty to count. While the candidates were elsewhere, their campaigns marched on. Could you spot them? There's a Biden, boot edge edges, a small Yang Gang, a line of Julians, more Yang Gang, a bunch of Beto's, people for Harris, walkers for Warren, Booker's boosters. Some even brought some moves. A bigger Biden bunch this time. A Bullock trio, a Sanders swarm, and behind them all trying to catch up, a Fort Smith, Arkansas attorney who's walking solo but says she's running for president too. Mosey Boyd for president. Up next, lessons from his previous job deciding not to run against a congressman and a prediction. All next in the Insider's Quick Six. Time for the Insider's Quick Six with Rick Sanders. Question one, you used to be on the Story County Board of Supervisors. What was the biggest lesson you learned from that aspect of public service? That we make a mistake anytime we go down the partisan route. Who cares whether you're a Republican or a Democrat? Let's work on solving problems. Uh, question two, what does Ames need that it doesn't have yet? Well, the, the simple answer is more housing and better transportation, but really we need to embrace, if we truly want to be an attraction point for that 25 to 35 year old, right? Bef after college, but before uh, before you have a family and you settle down, we need more amenities. Question three, Nevada is dealing with this, but this whole uncertainty about renewables future, where do you see that right now? 
you draw the timeline out long enough, we have to go to renewables. I mean, we're going to continue to have this tug of war between using existing fossil fuels and going fully to renewables. At some point in time, sooner or later, we have to move fully to renewables so it's not going away. Yeah, I'm going to get political on you. Question for you at least thought about running against Congressman King, right? In a primary? I at least thought about it. Why did you decide not to? Uh, I love Ames, Iowa and Central Iowa. I love my wife and my home and my bed, and that's not the life you want to lead if you go down that road. Question five. At Iowa State this past week, they had a conference on promoting civility. You sat on that board of supervisors. I mean, for the most part, you all were pretty civil working with each other, right? But it's not always that way dealing with the public. Is there a lesson you can help people understand about how to promote civility? Civility doesn't mean that you always agree. It doesn't even mean that you always have a monotone voice when you're debating and discussing something. It means that you don't vilify the other person or other group for having a different idea than you. You understand that different ideas are reasonable and it doesn't make somebody evil. And you shouldn't profess that they're evil just because they have a different idea. Finally, your prediction. Well, it's Cyhawk Week. Of course, I'm going to go. Down. I'm going to make three quick predictions on okay. Cyhawk Week. One, Lee Corso is going to be in Ames, Iowa. That's my first prediction. Okay. Uh, second prediction is that Lee Corso will absolutely put on a headdress that is a bird. I don't know which one. And then finally, it's going to be a good day for the Cyclones. All right. See, that's why we know you're not running. You went right out there on the land Cyclones <laughs> over the Hawks. Appreciate the time. Thank Glad you. Glad to be here, Dave. Thanks. Let's stay connected throughout the week, and we'll see you next week. Good